0: Well, welcome everybody to episode three of Life at the Tap End, the podcast hosted by Altechnic. I am joined today by our head of specification, uh, Neil Parry. We are going to talk about CP1, uh, which is an industry document that's out, which Neil will will talk us through. But I think first of all, what we should do is ask Neil for an introduction of yourself. So Neil, over to you. What's your name? Where'd you come from and what are you into? Uh,
1: Thanks, Ed. No uh, obviously, my name's Neil Perry. Uh, I'm an engineer at heart. I started my career uh, quite a while back um, for a valve company called Hattersley. You don't Didn't look that old. You, you say quite a while back, but you don't look that old. <laughs> Thanks, Ed. That's <laughs> no, that, no you're absolutely <laughs> spot on with that. It's a, it's a good <laughs> observation. Um, So, uh, yeah, I started my career uh, doing an an apprenticeship and worked in research and development, developing valves for uh, variable volume systems, which, as it turns out, are heat networks, Uh, they're they're variable volume systems. So it's exactly the same. And uh, I worked through the industry in various different positions, normally mainly in a in a technical uh, role uh, and somehow found myself. Uh, out and about in the real world, talking to real people and real customers, um, which was a, an eye-opener uh, to, in short. Um, and then got involved on heat networks probably around about uh, 18, 20 years ago in in the UK. Uh, and at that point they were uh, relatively new in their in the guise of uh, instantaneous HRUs. And um, sort of spent a lot of that time talking to consultants about designs for projects, um, working with them on designs, helping them with sizing, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then obviously took on the role about 10 years ago at uh, technic as head of specification, uh, created a team to sell HIUs uh, and other uh, components into the HVAC industry. And that kind of brings us right the way, bang up to date, really. But you know, just finally on that, I guess, uh, I was on the, his rear BG62 steering group for uh, HRUs, had input into SIBSI CP1, uh, part of the UK DEA, and so it goes on. I'm not going to read through all the list, but pretty much, if there's a if there's a body, I'm on it. <laughs> if that's
0: the right thing to say. <laughs> so there's something to be said there about that one. We'll leave it there. So obviously, that's that's Neil Perry, the the commercial guy. What is Neil Perry's? You know, what what makes you tick outside of the the real world, as you call it. I mean, I'm not sure Sal's is a real world, but you know, we'll 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 put it as your real world. But you know, what what gets you going outside of of the work arena? Uh, yeah,
1: funnily enough, I, f- I think that's
0: a harder question <laughs> to
1: answer, really. Um, Fair enough. I've, uh, I've always been a cyclist, really. Um, I cycled since, well, going to school, used to cycle to school and never really stopped from there. And went on from there and did a lot of uh, riding uh, for teams and so on. And uh, I've raced my bike across the Alps and the Pyrenees and other wow. places, across Mexico even. <laughs> uh yeah so most countries really i've uh, i've ridden my bike in and i uh, exactly. still do it to this day uh with the even at your age ball, even even at my age for it's all yes you've got to keep your hand in uh <laughs> although i must admit as i've got older i tend to be more for weather um, uh, okay. uh, with all the snow we've got then yeah. i spend my time on an indoor cycle which is really sad <laughs> uh online on on a program called Swift most of the time so that's what Sound, I tend to Sounds incredible
0: with. how will
1: yeah. like change I like the gym uh you know that kind of stuff I'm I'm quite active person always have been uh yeah and uh, obviously I, I want to
0: fly the world and meet people and wish for world peace wow <laughs> incredible and you could ask for anything more and you can do it all on your bike you can, can, can do it can. at net carbon zero you can you imagine your your carbon footprint would be tiny going around the world on your little bike there's very little you can't do on a bike. I'm sure there's a story there. <laughs> I'm sure there's a story there. Like Mickey Flanagan when he did Tour de France. Detour de France. Oh, de, Tour yeah, de France. Yeah, Tour yeah. that's. that's yeah. Well, I see you in Nice with your speedos. I'm walking down the beach. I'm sure it would be a. A sight to behold i think we should leave speedos out of it but certainly cycling (laughs) from from one
1: wine bar to the next you definitely count me in on that
0: yeah i I could probably do that or you could give me a backy one of the two i'm sure we (laughs) could come to some kind of arrangement well that's great well thanks for that i mean we are here today to talk about cp1 um so i guess the first question for me to you is for people who don't know what cp1 is what is cp1 what does it stand for you know and, and what's its purpose really i suppose It's a SIBSI document, so the
1: Chartered Institute of Building Services Engineers. Uh, It first came out in 2015, and it's a code of practice. So it's a start to finish of what you need to do if you're going to uh, build a heat network, uh, whether that's a communal heating uh, project or whether it's a, a true district heating where you're connecting multiple buildings up to a, uh, an energy source. Um, and it, it just guides you through the process. Um, and as I say, it came out in 2015 and was updated. Uh, this, well, they say 2020, but it came out in 2021. Oh, uh, I, in January, I think uh, COVID had something to
0: do with that. But, so, that's, so it slightly yeah. Yeah, but that's it. It's, it's how to do your network from Okay. Out. So taking, taking back from what we was so for people who may be listeners who don't know what district heating or heat network is, what what is district heating or, or the heat network you refer to? What is that in, in layman's terms and how would people understand, you know, what that means? Well, I mean, at its most basic, um, it, it's it's actually
1: not too dissimilar to your normal gas boiler that you'd have in your house because, uh, and, and some people put sometimes don't really make this connection because they think of district heating as being something completely different. Well, at the end of the day, from a house point of view, or a tenant's point of view, it provides you with heating and hot water, okay. same as a, a combi boiler. Do. Yeah. Now, people say, oh, well, a network, it's a network, so it's different. Well, actually, your combi boiler is on a gas network. You know, it's gas supplied into your building, you put your combi boiler on, onto that gas supply, and it gives you heating and hot water. Well, with a heat network and a HRU, you put a HRU in your house and you connect it to what's termed LTHW, low temperature, hot water. Um, it's another network. Instead of gas, it's low temperature, hot water. So it's actually very, very similar. Okay. So that LTHW would come from uh, an energy source of some description. And I think the the main point I really want to make about that is pe- people could, could therefore say, well, why? Why, why the difference? Why bother? going to a heat network uh, instead of a a boiler system with with gas. And the crucial difference is is obviously that energy source in that it's LTHW, low temperature hot water. And you can create that low temperature hot water in any way you want. So you can use combinations of energy sources. So you could use heat pumps, your biomass boilers. You can even use gas boilers, but you can use solar thermal. You can add all kinds of things in CHP, into that network um, and you kind of future proof your energy in the house because at any point then if if um, some new technology comes out you know could be a fuel cell for instance all you need to do is make one change at the energy center and then everybody downstream of that benefits from that gain in in efficiency or gain in the reduction of carbon whatever it happens to be so you're future-proofing that supply now coming back to the boiler scenario if you have a combi boiler or a normal boiler in your house and you need to make a change that that new thing comes along what do you do well you you're relying now on every single person who's got a boiler to make a change district heating you only make the change once at the energy center and everybody Mm -hmm. if there's a thousand people connected a thousand people benefit overnight and that's the main difference really
0: okay that's good it's interesting so obviously we said you know cp1 is based around a code of practice for heat networks And, and i'm guessing the installation and the specification of of the heat networks and what goes alongside it so cp1 is a document i've read cp1 you know so, it, <laughs> you made me read it you told me to read it um but but what is the intended audience so cp ron is, is, is a fairly substantial document it, it's very well written um but who who is its intended audience shall we say you no know, is it you know who's it written for to, to to read um it's actually for
1: anyone uh who's involved in on a heat network and uh, i think that's probably a, a very good point to make clear really right at the start is that the document Covers all aspects of heat networks. It's not about the design. Yes, there's design in there, of course. There's a chapter on on design, but it's about everything. It's about feasibility studies. It's about planning for it bef- before you start. Looking at where you're going to put your energy center, where you're going to run your pipes. You know, these are big networks. You know you imagine you don't want to start this and go right we're going to put the energy center there and suddenly the buildings on the other side of the motorway oh how do we get the pipes across you know you've got to think about all that feasibility course, and, yeah. and what's the best way of doing it so it starts uh, sort of at that feasibility stage tells you how to do that and then works you right the way through through design of the network installation and then even running it and what your um what you're providing to the tenants, you know, in terms of uh, the energy, what you, what kind of rules you're working to, you know, uh, downtime, all those things are all rolled in. So it really is cradle to grave okay. for starting a heat heat network, and all the way along, there's almost uh, sort of toll gates, if you like, or. <laughs> And there's certainly worksheets that you need to go through and prove that you've worked the aspects of each individual chapter. And it follows along with the project. And that becomes a bigger and bigger project document where anyone at any point can go back and see the process that's gone on on that particular heat network and all the
0: changes and and things that have been done. Okay, so it's very much a document where you can you can pick it up and, and a section could be applicable to you depending on what stage or what part of the design or the install or whatever it may be the commission of the network you can there's a section for you in there to, to pick up and read
1: absolutely if um you know i mean uh, my my area of course of, of expertise if you like uh, if that's not too grandiose <laughs> is you know that sort of design and maybe the installation as well but there are uh, sections well before design as you know keep mentioning feasibility it's i think it's the first chapter so um which you know certain people will could get cp1 and go right i'm only interested in chapters one and two um i'm not interested in three four onwards or somebody might say i only want chapter six so you can just and, you know, work on one particular chapter or the, or one particular chapter is applicable to you. Yeah. Um, but it does stage right at the start uh, of CP1, and this is something I absolutely uh, agree with, is that um, somebody should be appointed as your, your CP1 overseer, if you like, to be involved in this project at every stage. Okay. Because if you do look at the chapters in isolation, you can get in danger of of doing something because that's the absolute best practice of that particular chapter but in that particular building you're building that might cause you an issue later on down the line so you do need somebody involved who who oversees the whole of cp1 involved right from the beginning to make sure that the project goes down the right steps for that particular building because every heat
0: network is different in some way of course yeah okay that's interesting so The audience, the, the, the you know, the reason for it. So what, what is what does it actually highlight and, and and what does it does it specify safe for certain products or does it give you best practice on certain products, you know, the intricacies of the actual document itself, you know, we know it's a long document, we are both read it, but you know, getting to the nooks and crannies it's there, obviously, to deliver a better outcome. So, obviously, it looks over specifications. So, what does it look at? What's its focus point, You know, for for many products or whatever else may be within the heat network, or, or you know, you spoke about HRUs, et etc. What does it highlight in there? Well, it it stays away from recommending products.
1: Um, you know, it's it's completely agnostic to uh, what particular product is is used. It doesn't recommend manufacturers. It, yeah. Uh, it does have some pictures in there that shows you know, pipe work, for instance, from and it may say that's from X manufacturer, but it, there's no recommendation in it from that point of view. And I think just coming back a step, um, you know, why why was it created? Well, you know, we, we kind of stumbled on for the first 10 years or so with heat networks in the UK where we, we knew we, we should, should be doing them and we knew we had to do them and we were kind of finding our feet saying, oh, does that work? Does that not work? And, you know, while that, that is okay, it's progress of a type. It, it's it. it we, we ended up with a lot of heat networks, which weren't particularly operating very well, um, shall we say. And CP1 was the first document that said, this is really how you need to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it, you know, it was really trying to tighten down on on a lot of the the mistakes, if you like, that that have been made, or at least highlight them so people can learn from them and move on and do something that's better. And when I say better, that's better for everyone because it uses less energy, emits less carbon, it's cheaper to run, so everybody benefits from from getting it right. And that was the intention. Uh, a laudable attention, uh, intention of uh, of CP1. Yeah, but it's, as I say, it doesn't really particularly mention products, but it does give you ideas of, of what you need to be installing, like you know an instantaneous HRU, uh, and then it gets into a little bit more detail. Um, now the original one, as I mentioned, came out in 2015 uh that had 92 pages in it and the the current one that came out uh this year has uh, 240 pages so okay. um, that's quite an increase but yeah. and the way it generally works is it has in each section uh minimum requirements so we would li- literally say as a minimum you should do this and there are over 540 minimum requirements <laughs> in that yeah. document so it is quite a heavy document but then it also has at the end of each section some best practices as well. And there are over 110 uh, best practice requirements in CP1 okay. uh, as well. And, uh, and, you know, and when it gets into the detail, for instance, it, it may say something along the lines of, um, you know, a HRU should have a uh, heat losses less than, you know, X. Yeah. And then it will say underneath that best practice would be, to have a hru that has heat losses no more than y and obviously y would be lower than x and, and so on so it's it's really pushing you and it, it is a, a a signpost almost to where we're going in the future yeah. anything that's that's shown as best practice the intention is to move that into minimum requirements that in the next edition so it's, it's okay. sort of a journey and a, and a process really the evolution
0: of what it's looking to do because i know exactly. after reading it and i know some of the conversations you had so you know there's a there's a lot of focus on obviously the primary network so the heat network or the or the district heating but i know there's some focus now on what we call the secondary network or the tertiary circuit where you're actually balancing systems within a property so you're talking about the way you control your radiators you know the Mm. minimum requirement being so you know liquid filled trv heads and then we look at Mm. you know the presettable side then we look at at pressure independence so i'll get you know the document focuses on 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 the whole from mines and from the whole sort of picture doesn't it you know from from what sits in an energy center to then what sits in anybody's apartment flat or office that it may be you know it it covers off all of that doesn't it
1: it, it does, um, because, you know, a network is a holistic system. Everything has to work together. Um, and I think there was a tendency in the past to to sort of, you know, put a network in and then if it didn't work, it would be a case of scratching your head going, I wonder what's failed or what's wrong, you know, from a point of view of an individual thing. but in terms of when when we're trying to get the most efficient network and the best performing network, it has to be looked at holistically because it's, you know, the tendency just to blame something, oh it's the HRU or it's the pump or it's this, it's that, Mm -hmm. it doesn't really help. You have to look at the whole uh, to get the the network to work properly. So basically, um, one of the the big issues, of course, is what we're trying to do on a network to make it efficient is to have a large delta T. So you want a very low return temperature coming on the on your network. And just yeah. to explain that, all it basically means is if you think about it, if you're pumping water at seventy degrees onto a heat network and it's coming back at sixty-eight, what's the point? <laughs> yeah. Because you're pumping a whole lot of water and you're not taking much energy from it at all. So yeah. that's, it's going to cost a lot to pump all that water, mm-hmm. and you're not using it. So if you're pumping 70 and you're getting 30 back well you're using a lot of that energy in the building so that's good you know it's, yeah. it's being used so you're being efficient and there's a lot of focus uh, on that through it but what we know is that the hru has absolutely an effect on the return mm-hmm. temperature and there are good hrus let's say medium hrus and maybe poor hrus on the market in terms of return temperature and and, and what they're doing uh, as well so um the HRU has an effect, but so does the radiators yeah. in the in the uh, the tertiary circuit, as you said, in the, the space heating in the apartment. And if they're not balanced properly, not controlled properly, they will increase the return temperature. And there's very little a HRU can do uh, about that if the radiators yeah. aren't balanced. The latest generation of electronic HRU's, our K32 for instance, has return temperature limitation where it can do some manipulation of the secondary or the tertiary, depending on which way you classify it, yeah. to yeah. to ensure that you're guaranteeing some low return temperatures onto the network. But it's certainly not a, uh, a substitute for yeah. balancing the radiators. Uh, yeah. at all. You have to look at every aspect. And even if you've balance the radiators, you valve them, as you you mentioned, uh, as it does in CP1, recommending pressure independent uh, control valves on the radiators as uh, as a best practice, similar to our Dynamical, yeah. for yeah. instance, then that's great. But again, if you then install a poor HRU, that's not going to help matters. Mm-hmm. And so you need to look at a very good HRU with a very low return temperature. But then coming to the primary side or the the feed to the HRU, if you have bypasses all over the network and then you're not controlling them properly, again, the the network's not going to be very good at all. Um, You know, you have to look at every single aspect and it's about being the best you can on every aspect. And only then will it give you uh, a, a, a really efficient network and just to give some figures to that um, because people say yeah I know it should be efficient but if I don't do that well does it really matter well you know heat networks have the ability to be ruthlessly efficient but they also have the, the ability to be inefficient and significantly inefficient and yeah. so it's really important that we get every stage right. and you can we we uh, have projects uh, where we've been involved and the design has been done, we've sized it, we've done all that work and we supplied a very good HRU where tenants are being charged less than three pence a kilowatt hour. And the ESCO is making money uh, at that level. And then you see other sites with really poor networks, really high heat losses, all that kind of stuff, very small delta Ts. And the ESCOs are charging the tenants 14, 15 pence a kilowatt hour, mm-hmm. and 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 the ESCO is struggling to make money at that because yeah, of the yeah. cost of running running that network. So you can see the difference that you can get. So we need to really focus on on being as good as we can in the design, installation, commissioning, and running of that uh, heat network.
0: Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, I guess, really, to, to summarise what we've got here. You now, CP one is there from, as you say, a cradle to grave document from energy source or heat source, from feasibility stage first to, to heat source to planning to to pipe runs to system design to then you know install and that. So, you know, it, it's it's an overall framework, I guess, for, for what we need to do to try and drive you know better and more efficient networks. No, so certainly. Within my role as technical manager, we speak to some people, and this is nothing against those people who don't really understand what heat networks do. And I think it's down to the likes of CP one and, and, and other things like some of the CPDs that you carry out, in raising awareness of of how heat networks work and what they're designed to do and, and what they should be doing. I mean, do, do you agree with that? I mean, is, is there a is there a lack of knowledge in the marketplace, you think at the moment, of of understanding how heat networks work?
1: Um, I think there has, has been. Um, it, it's getting better, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, CP1 definitely helps with that. Um, we we do uh, lost, almost lost count of how many CPD-approved CPD seminars we have. We're yeah. about seven or eight now, uh, and four or five of those are on heat network design, which we, we do on a regular basis to yeah. consultants and uh, contractors alike. But um, I think there's, there is a little bit of... Uh, so. Th- to answer your point, really, yes, we're, we're getting better, but there still is uh, sort of a uh, lot of work that could be done in that area in terms of education. But, yeah. um, you know, it, it's an ongoing process and, and we learn all the time. You know, we have a design guide on heat networks. Which is in it? I think it's his fourth uh, revision now, and yep. you know we we add things, we maybe tweak things a little bit each time we yeah. we redo it because uh, you know knowledge is, is great, and we're we're pulling a lot of information, be that via the energy meters that are installed on these systems mm-hmm. or via Modbus with that remote uh, connection and control of the HRU, which yeah. is something now that's uh, come up in uh, the new version of CP1. Um, and we're getting more and more data all the time and that's allowing us to fine-tune and tweak things and and really improve on on these systems so uh, long may that continue every day's a school day
0: <laughs> isn't it just no i absolutely agree well i think you neil know, First, I'd like to thank you. I think that's a really good insight into CP1 as a document, you know, what it entails. And, you know, anybody listening to this, you know, I think, you know, if it's something that you're working within the heat network arena or district heat, you know, I think it's a good document to to read, to get an understanding as to why they specify things and why things are done the way they're done. And I think, you know, you've hit the nail on the head there with, with some of the points you've made, you know. So I, I do really appreciate your time in that, Neil. And, you know, I think you put the message across really well. And, you know, long may that continue that we can, you know, keep working in the industry to, to keep it improving and keep improving that technology really i think
1: yeah yeah it's uh, you know it, it has to be the future i think uh bays you know the uh, the government uh business energy whatever it stands for it used yeah. to be a lot simpler it, when it was called yeah, DEC, yeah. <laughs> department of energy and climate change but it's now yeah. base uh you know that they're the saying, saying that to achieve our uh carbon emission um requirements of 2050 i.e zero um the number of heat networks has to increase and yeah. currently we're, we're somewhere around two three percent of buildings uh, are connected to a heat network but um, Bayes are saying that by uh, you know, 2050, that needs to be 19% or more. Now that's a massive, massive increase. Yeah. Um, so we need to get these, these, uh, these things right and make yeah. sure they work. Um, they can save an awful lot of uh, energy and awful lot of carbon emissions. And, and, and that's one of the things I would stress, that we, we have proof of that. You know, I mean, some people say, well, do, do they really save energy? Do they you know, stop emissions of carbon? You've only got to look at places like Sweden. Where you see, if you look at graphs of the amount of energy they're they're supplying into heat networks, it's just a continuous upward curve. They're they're constantly putting more networks on, increasing the size of the networks and so on. But then if you look at the emissions over the same time period, they've dropped off a cliff. You know, they've really come down huge amounts. And that's because, you know, as they've been producing these networks, they've used renewable energy sources in the energy center. And then they've gone back to older networks and, you know, said, right, OK, that had a, you know, coal boiler, whatever it happened to be, it, didn't, yeah. it doesn't matter. Now we can move that away. Now we can put something in that's better. And yeah, it's a yeah. constant process and uh, it really does work. It's proven proven technology and it's energy, uh, you know, agnostic in terms of what's producing it. So it's, it's, it's really, really is a, uh, the way forward, I think.
0: Perfect. Uh, well, thanks, to that, Neil. I mean, we'll, we'll we'll wrap it up now, but I really appreciate your time and your input there. You know, you've obviously got not a not a, a knowledge in the in the industry from from what you're doing, and long may that I continue, you know, and, and that we do continue to keep improving. You know, the networks that we're putting in and, and the products that we fit into them. So, Neil, I thank you, and I thank everybody who's tuned in to listen to this, and uh, keep your eyes peeled for future podcasts. So, thank you very much. That's
1: no problem, Ed. It's been uh, been uh, an experience uh, to do a <laughs> podcast with with the famous Ed Morris. So good. <laughs> not quite famous it- yet. <laughs> if, if, anybody, <laughs> if anybody is involved in a heat network and they want some support from us uh, we can absolutely give that um you know so just contact us and we can give assistance in that design the sizing product selections all that kind of stuff um no problem i think we have the highest number of SIBSI accredited heat network consultants uh in the business i think so uh yeah we're, we're here to help me being one <laughs> <laughs>
0: <And> me. <laughs> and, yeah. well this thanks Neil. thanks very much appreciate your time No problem. Cheers, Ed. Thank you.